Roger Williams University is hosting a crisis management seminar on May 3rd at their Providence campus. Crises, whether a natural disaster, cyber attack, or financial instability, can have severe repercussions if not handled properly. This is where crisis management plays a pivotal role. Join Roger Williams' MBA students and expert speakers to learn how to prepare for the unexpected. The program is totally free and open to the public. You can register online at rwu.edu slash events slash crisis management symposium. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Robert Sherman is a reporter for News Nation on the ground in Tel Aviv and joins us here on the podcast. Very much so appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Happy to be here. And thanks for having me, Bill. Right now, what are you seeing on the ground in terms of your immediate surroundings in Tel Aviv? Yeah, I mean, it really seems as though that we've started to hit that point in this conflict where we have the quote-unquote proverbial fog of war taking effect here. I mean, a big discussion that we've been seeing has been talking about the prospects of ceasefires between Hamas and Israel. The Egyptians said that they thought they would get one. Uh, There's no such ceasefire has been struck. There's talking talks about the Rafah crossing between Egypt and Gaza being opened up to get foreign nationals out and uh, needed resources in. We have not seen that crossing opened up entirely so far yet. Uh, so there's been a lot of misinformation going on back and forth right now. I think the big thing that we're all going to have to be keeping a close eye on is, one, obviously, a lot of attention on when the Israelis are going to go hard and fast into Gaza. And second is looking at Lebanon. That has been the growing story over the last couple of days. As we've seen missile strikes from uh, Hezbollah over the last couple of days, they've taken responsibility for those attacks and have called them a quote-unquote warning to the Israelis to cease and desist what they're doing down in Gaza. Exactly how much does this escalate? That's the big question. Everybody's putting on the full-court press in order to ensure that whatever this ends up becoming, it does not engulf the entire region. But you hear these rumblings about actors in Syria. You hear these allegations about the puppet masters behind this sitting in Tehran and being the Iranian government. Those are the things that are keeping people on edge here in Israel as this whole situation continues to develop. Of course, that regional conflict aspect of things is in many ways um, a worst case scenario. Your negotiation process would be through or would be with a multitude of different entities, be it uh, nations or organizations, has there been any talk of sort of a third party becoming the de facto ombudsman here, the, the referee of sorts in this conflict, be it another country or the UN? Has anybody really put forth a solid plan that is either the United States or another entity serving as sort of a mediator Yeah, you know, I mean, answering that question in multiple pieces, have there been talks about this? Yes. You know, I mean, you've heard some rumblings about a couple of other countries getting involved here. Uh, But, I mean, from what we've been able to gather, it hasn't really amounted into that much per se. I I mean, it definitely seems as though that it's like the big players that you have here, you know, the United States is playing a huge role in this. You've seen Secretary of State Antony Blinken really making the rounds throughout the region this this weekend, you know, whether it's going to Saudi Arabia, whether it's going to Qatar, whether it's uh, a couple of trips to Israel. He's now back in Israel right now. But it definitely seems as though the United States has got to play this role here. And it's one of those things that we all have to remember is, is that there's only a handful of countries 
that fully recognize Israel as a sovereign state. That makes all of this so much more more complicated. It's something that we sometimes have a propensity to forget. Uh, so e- even though uh, the, the United States doesn't have the best relations with all these countries here, uh, it's really coming down to the United States in order to do some of this bidding because Israel simply cannot come to the table with so many of these other countries here. And I think that there's also the aspect here as well is, is that it's the reading between the lines where you've got uh, one aircraft carrier uh, here right now. Another one is on its way to come out shortly. So there is definitely the deterrence factor coming from the United States as well to ensure that this does not engulf the entire region. But we will all have to keep a close eye on this on the next couple of days because it, it, it really feels as though we are approaching that boiling point in the region right now. Right now, Gaza, the border remains closed for aid, for water. Fuel shortages are starting to worsen. And look, it is undoubtedly a completely desperate scene in Gaza right now, Gaza City and throughout the Gaza Strip. What's your sense on the ground of a realistic, in light of the note, the the, the flyers, the leaflets that were dropped in terms of an evacuation because of a forthcoming ground assault by Israel? What is your sense in terms of the humanitarian side on an immediate sense in Gaza right now and getting fuel, water in, getting those who are in hospital out, and in any way, shape, or form, preventing this thing from devolving into an absolutely unimaginable humanitarian disaster? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that are working in all of our favors here. For one, it seems as though that the timeline of the Israeli forces has been much slower than we all anticipated. When those leaflets first started falling from the sky into Gaza, were dropped by the Israeli Air Force, they were talking about 24 hours. I mean, that was, I'm goodness, at this at this point, three or four days ago. So, I mean, and, and you have not seen the Israeli forces go hard and fast into Gaza at this point. So that's given people a bit more time to get out of there. And the United Nations, the World Health Organization, both called that 24-hour timetable pretty aggressive. I mean, calling it impossible in order to really get as many people out of there as possible. Uh, but there's other aspects here as well. I mean, you've got Hamas reportedly trying to stop people from leaving Gaza City and telling people to not listen to the IDF, to not flee, to not get south. You know, that, that, that puts us on a collision course for more calamity here as well. Um, you know, you've got uh, a lack of resources going into the Gaza Strip, of course. Uh, the United Nations uh, put out a, a tweet today talking about how they received reports that Hamas effectively was stealing resources from them. That tweet has since been deleted. Uh, why all of that has happened here, we don't know, but you can read between the lines for yourself here. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those things in, in which it's, the, the situation looks less bleak than it did three or four days ago in terms of humanitarian loss. But there are several factors here that give us cause for concern. And one of them, pretty much top of mind, is Hamas and how it's, it seems as though from our vantage point that uh, humanitarian and tolls and loss of life, not their top priority by any stretch of the imagination. What's the flavor on the ground in Tel Aviv right now in terms of anyone that you've spoken with? And their concerns obviously are both immediate for their own health, safety, well-being, so on and so forth. That's obvious when you have sirens going off, as we've we've heard in much of your reporting on television and social media and others, of course. But just in terms of a resolution yeah, I, here, what's the what's the what's the sense on the ground? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, there was one woman who I spoke with the other day who really opened my eyes to it as we were talking about the probability that Israeli forces put boots on the ground in Gaza and have to you know, have a really tall task ahead of them if they're going to clear out an urban area such as Gaza, shit, Gaza City. And uh, the words that she said to me were, I can't believe we have to send our kids in there. And I would say that the most important word in that sentence is the word have. There is the sense on the ground here that the Israelis must strike back with all of their might in order to reestablish deterrence in the region. There is this feeling that if they do nothing, that they will be attacked again and more of their countrymen and women will be slaughtered again. So, I mean, there is this feeling that, that they must act and they must hit back at all possible costs. Uh, in terms of the long-term impacts here, uh, it, it, I, I would, something you know to I, that I don't know the answer to personally, but something that I would encourage your listeners to think about for a second: what was Hamas's objective with this whole situation here? Was the objective to kill as many Israelis and Jews as possible? If so, mission success. But if the goal was to try and push the Israelis towards a two-state solution with Palestine to try and, you know, really, you know, force the issue here and try and bring the Israelis to the table on that through force, through coercion, it could not have been a bigger failure. I was here a couple of months ago, and you would talk, you would walk around Tel Aviv, and, and this is a rather transient city. You meet a lot of people from around the world, and you would meet people who were open-minded to the idea of a two-state solution empathetic with the Palestinian plight, saying, yeah, we really do need to find a solution here. That appetite is gone on the ground here. People are angry. People are furious. The sentiment is enough is enough. It, I mean, it's the, the, the propensity for a two-state solution now seems about as dead as it possibly could be. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. No, I mean, that's just a shocking thought process that we could move backwards on this crisis. And I've heard some reporting this morning, credit to The New York Times, who interviewed some people who are who are Palestinians who are essentially trapped at this point, saying that we don't support what Hamas did in any way, shape or form. And they had that exact concern that a movement towards equal rights, a movement towards possibly an airport, a movement towards passports and, and ending what is certainly, in, in an objective standpoint, at minimum, somewhat of an, if not entirely apartheid-type scenario, these efforts now move backwards because of the moment we're in, if nothing else, because of that public opinion shift. And that seems to be a major driving, if not the story, understory, if you will, secondary to the immediate conflict, is the long-term ramifications here in terms of any type of justice the public appetite has shifted dramatically. Without question, you're seeing that all over the ground here is, is that it, it, it does feel as though you know, if, if that if that's the goal, if that was the goal that the world was pushing towards, I mean, we, we've definitely not moved any closer to that. And, and, to, and to be fair, you know, there are a lot of Israelis before all of this who really didn't have an appetite for a two state solution. But I, sure. I don't know how you elect a prime minister in the next couple of decades in this country who is running on a platform of trying to cut a deal with the Palestinians and find a two-state solution. And I think that brings us to another point as well here, is, is that um, Benjamin Netanyahu has been such a staple and a stalwart of Israeli politics and foreign policy for so many years. He is public enemy number one on the ground in Israel right now. 
when, when you walk around here and you talk to people, there is disbelief that this has happened, but there is also anger towards the Israeli government and Israeli intelligence for allowing this to happen, for not seeing this coming. So that's the other aspect to all of this as well, is, is that I mean, if, if the election were held today, we would see a change in guard you know, in terms of Israeli leadership. I would never count out Benjamin Netanyahu and his, uh, and his propensity to win elections. But that being said, it really feels as though we've witnessed a paradigm shift on the ground here where folks are saying it's time for him to go for accountability to take hold and for somebody new to come in. We've even seen reports over the weekend of high-ranking IDF soldiers when meeting with Netanyahu, lashing out at him in person and essentially forcing him to leave the room. So it does seem as though, although there's a temporary coalition government, the political landscape in Israel right now is, on a governmental level, as unstable as it has been in quite some time. And you wonder what role that plays, like you said, going forward. It's hard to imagine a scenario in which Netanyahu is able to continue as an effective leader. At the same time, in this conflict mindset right now, do you get the sense that even though there's this backlash, there's still a, we'll call it nationalism, if you will, amongst Israelis that, hey, this is what we have and we need to, in some way, shape or form, rally behind Netanyahu? Or is it so severe, this backlash, that public enemy number one context, that it actually jeopardizes a unified Israeli front in the next Weeks, months ahead. Taking the temperatures of the waters, I would say it's closer to the former right now, that there is kind of this belief that, that you don't change horses midstream, that, I mean, you stick with the government. And, you know, we, we have seen an emergency unity government put in place here. Uh, you know, that is, I mean, you've seen rivals from across the aisle in Israel come together, which is a pretty significant development. I mean, when you talk to Israelis here, I mean, they, they describe the political climate in Israel as seemingly similar to the United States in that there's a lot of divisiveness, there's a lot of bickering, there's a lot of finger pointing, you know, which, which you see in most any democracy, you know, but I mean, it has been pretty palpable, perhaps even more so than it has been in recent years. But I mean, there is this good faith effort to try and bring the country together under this unity government. Not everybody's in favor of, favor of it. I mean, we've seen some people speak out against the unity government and saying, you know, it's composed of the wrong figures right now, that there needs to be a total overhaul of the system. Uh, but, I mean, in the early days, in, in the wake of this catastrophe, it does, there does seem to be this, let's get everybody together, let's unify on one big tent, and let's focus on the objective at hand because we're all on the same side here. You do definitely detect that on the ground so far. Robert Sherman reporting for News Nation on the ground in Tel Aviv, newsnationnow.com, and then call your cable provider if you don't have News Nation, and uh, make sure you do have it because it's an excellent in an era where cable news has become essentially entertainment and opinion-oriented in, in its entirety, News Nation is delivering uh, actual reporting on a regular basis, and it's deeply appreciated. That brings me to my last question, Robert, which is the, the reporting on the ground right now. You're in Tel Aviv. Look, there's a lot of different perspectives on this thing. You can look to networks. You can look at Al Jazeera. You can look – of course, we have access now to TikTok and Instagram where citizen journalism is telling this story do you feel that the story is being told in an objective way right now, or have institutions, and I'm not necessarily speaking to News Nation or your reporting, but by and large, are we getting enough objective 
full-spectrum reporting on this conflict where the world can count on the media as a whole to tell this story? Or do you feel as though it's being skewed in one way, shape, or form, whether it's particularly pro-Israel, particularly pro-Gazans, missing the point on some of these undertones? Do you get the sense the story's being told right for the world? That's a really good and profound question, Bill. And what I would say that I've noticed here is I mean, just about every Israeli citizen I've met has a folder on their phones that is filled with images and videos of the attacks and of the carnage that took place last week. And every one of them you know, pulls out their phone and sticks it in our faces and says, look at this. Do you see these images? Do you see these videos? Do you see the devastation and the gruesomeness of this attack? I mean, the people of Israel want these photos and videos to get out as much as possible. And what I would say, to answer your question pointedly, is that I feel as though, from what I've seen, is is that compared to conflicts in in years past, it feels like there is more information, more videos, more photos in the public sphere for the average person to glean and consume than ever before, giving people the opportunity to make their opinions up for themselves. I mean, arguably almost too many videos. You know, sometimes it probably, you know, makes it difficult to digest all of this. I would say that it is. I mean, you you are seeing these dialogues that are happening in the United States. You're seeing them happen all across the world. You know, you are seeing videos coming out of Gaza, which even if you are the most pro-Israeli figure, are are pretty astounding to watch. Yes, You are seeing videos out of these kibbutzes, in southern Israel, which even if you are pro-Palestinian, you can't help but say, wow, that is a whole new level of carnage than ever before. So, I mean, there, there's all this content out there, which I think works to the benefit of the democracy, which works to the benefit of the world for people to see all of this. So, I, I mean, I, I would say that, that it is being, you know, and that there's enough out there that people can look at what they, what, what people can find what they're looking for. And people can understand this story at a deeper level. And when I hear people talking about this, you know, whatever side of the issue you're on, they've seen content from the other side. They've seen the photos and videos that the other side is talking about as well, which I I would hope would lead to a more informed dialogue. Mm. Robert Sherman reporting for News Nation on the ground in Tel Aviv here on the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Thanks so much for your time and uh, stay safe over there and keep up the excellent reporting. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Bill. I appreciate it.